stuff here, sir. How are you doing, sir? You thought you was getting ready to start without me, didn't you, huh? 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 Boy, I hate you. You, you look like sucked. you running the touchdown. Look like you running the touchdown. Yes, right that's there. right. I was running. I was on that football field behind me. You know that that's the football field of the UNLV Running Rebels. So, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome. Because we are here another week. Another week. This is the thirty-third edition of the Watkins Award with T. Tate and none other than his right hand man. And I'm telling you. He really is my right-hand man right now, and that is Jay Everett Pearsall. Now, he and I was together for a few minutes, and he had on a white shirt, and I had to change to a white shirt, Mr. Pearsall, (laughs) in honor of the real reason why you had on a white shirt yesterday. And we were celebrating a very dear friend's uh, uh, birthday, uh, she turned, man, what, uh, 26, 27 years old? You know, 27 and a half. Who knows? 27 and a half? <laughs> okay. Well, we want to wish, you know, her another happy birthday. So I'll let you ha- take the honor, Mr. Pearsall. And happy, sure. happy birthday, Nikita Dean. That's happy right. birthday to, to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Boy, and that was, man, that's an awesome family, man. I mean, man, you're talking about some beautiful people who certainly uh, helped to celebrate that birthday. Uh, Doc was there. So we can't forget Doc because Doc came through, man. And, man, you should see the, the smiles on Doc's face, man. So it was great. Seeing Doc there, and and other than none other than that that uh, awesome young man of hers, uh, oh man, shucks! I mean, he is a piece of work, man. But just <laughs> just love seeing the Kobe, you know, and 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 watching him navigate through life, man. Just an awesome young man that I know one day will be right here on our show. So, Mister Pearson. We got an awesome guest today, an awesome guest. And, you know, I started out, as I I said, that I got that stadium in the back of me, man. That's the new stadium of the Running Rebels of UNLV. Man, look at the excitement back there, man. I mean, man, that town, and I know you a Vegas guy anyway. You like hanging out there. But, you know, this... This young man that we're going to have today, Reggie Butler, a, a Y2K guy, you know, year 2000, he came through, man. Yes, <laughs> uh, you know, you talk about being inconspicuous, hiding behind the, the curtain, being, you know, just uh, a chameleon and flowing with the crowd. Man, I'm, I'm man, I can't wait to hear his story, because I know you know a little bit about some of his family, and I want to hear the story about some of those individuals in the family. But Mr. Pearson, I always I always say this, and you know I I got to do my disclaimer as I always the views and opinion of the Watkins Award Show of those of he and of course J. Everett Pearson. And if you got a problem, 
send him an email. Send him an email. He doesn't have any problems taking that email. But, you know, Mr. Pearsall, we can't take for granted that everyone who joins our show know exactly what we're talking about. And we met some beautiful people uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. And some of them may be watching the show or listening to the show from Mississippi, uh, Chicago. I mean, it's people from all over, but to you, Mr. Pearsall, you've been involved, you know, 32 years. Mr. Pearsall, this Watkins Award, what is this Watkins Award to you, Mr. Pearsall? Well, you know, uh, I think at some point I'm going to have you answer that question. I'm going to flip that and let you actually tell our listening audience what the Watkins Award is, because I think they'd like to hear it in your words. But I'll certainly give it in my words, if that's what you'd like me to do. I, I love it in your words, Mr. Pearson. <laughs> I just love it. The Watkins Award is the premier African-American scholar athlete going into their senior year, where we recognize the top African-American scholar athlete with the Watkins Award. Now, we nominate the top basketball, baseball, and football players, and then they get a package that gives them the ability to compete at that juncture, everything that they've accomplished uh, on the football field, everything that they've accomplished on the basketball court, everything that they've accomplished on the baseball field is then negated because now they're all on a level playing field and we have a package with which they'll have to submit to tell us why then that should, they should be considered the top scholar athlete as an African-American male going into their senior year. And so they're, their uh, scholastic aptitude is measured with that package. Um, they're writing an essay and doing a number of things that talks about their character and their community service. But again, uh, as we bring on guest after guest after guest, and some of which are household names and at the very least, big names in their states and their cities uh, with which they've worked, played, and played, um, you see individuals that through the years, We've met them at the age of 17, and some of them uh, now in their 30s, and a couple of them probably uh, approaching and or in their 40s. Uh, these individuals have gone on to do some magnificent things to give back and to help countless of our youth in this country uh, to establish themselves and to empower them to reach their goals and be successful in life. Uh, and I like to think in terms of the hundreds of thousands of lives that we've been able to touch. Uh, by really mobilizing the individuals who have come through the Watkins Award and reinforcing we're, we're not teaching them uh, because they're at a place by the time we've met them where they've got a very strong foundation. What we're doing is reinforcing them and more importantly, arming them with additional information and a group of other young men who have like-minded goals whom they can now align themselves with and work together for the better of our country. Well, you know, I, I, I appreciate that, Mr. Pearsall. It's nothing like you telling the audience about the Watkins Award. But you use a couple of words, or you use one particular word. You said premier African-American scholar athlete. That means a lot when you use the word premier. I mean, this is just not your run of the mill scholar athlete 
This is a premier scholar athlete, his senior year. Now, one particular day I recall in the past, we talked about the GPA. And your response was, the bar is set by the gentlemen who are selected. So this GPA could slide down to a 3.3 or it could slide up to a 4.0. You never know what's going to happen until you've got that that last group of guys in there. (laughs) So, Mr. with that said, you know, somebody that really and truly wants to support this, you know, and we do need support. How can they make a donation? And does their donation qualify as a tax deduction? So it, it's, um, I say funny or not so funny that you say we need it. We are in dire need of financial support. We continue to operate an organization on a shoestring budget, and that would be an overstatement. Um, but we, uh, meaning the board of directors, our committee members and volunteers all over the country uh, will not be held back by the resources that we have because we continue to work very hard to make the best with the funds that we get. So do note that, you know, when you're supporting the National Alliance of African-American Athletes, you know, 90 plus percent of your funds are not going to a building or to a rent or to a mortgage or to a staff member or other things that are not really touching uh, individual lives, uh, youth, and kids. Your funds are going directly out to the community and into programs that are working uh, for the empowerment and the betterment of the youth in our country at large. And you can go to our website at N as in Nancy, followed by 4A's.com, N-A-A-A-A.com. And not only will you get a little bit of history, uh, photos and, and some videos on what we're all about, They'll be there ever present on the first page donate button, which gives you the ability to not only donate, but you can actually purchase some of the items that you'll see displayed. Hoodies, mugs, Yeti uh, cups, um, T-shirts, polos, a number of items that you can actually don in recognition of your donation to our organization. And as stated, we are a 501c3 organization since 1989, 1989, and continuing to do the things that we are charged to do, which is uplift and empower our youth. Well, I, thank you, uh, Mr. Pearsall, for bringing up the fact that I can now order that shirt in that color that you are wearing right now. Is that correct? Well, you know, again, if you want to look like me, you may have to go through an extra step for that. So there are some items on there, and you'll see the colors that exist. But again, if you want a customized item in a particular color or a particular item that may not be on our site, just shoot an email to us. And uh, again, we'll customize an item and get it back over to you and uh, make sure it's to your liking and your likeness and your satisfaction. So you mean if I wanted a a customized jersey uh, that um, had number 32 on it from UNLV, I can get maybe Mr. Reggie Butler to 
uh, you will get him to sign my jersey for me, you know, <laughs> and and I can make a special donation for that particular jersey. Is that what you're telling me? That obviously, that the cost of that is going to be obviously above the cost of the item, but we can make that happen. Uh, well, that's okay. It's a donation. I mean, it's Absolutely. going to a five hundred one c three. You know, and and so I, I, again, I just want to make sure that uh, our sponsors every week get you know credit where credit is due. You know, I told you about an organization three thirty seven vets dot org. You know, they jumping in. You know, Joe Crab's pot. I got to get you over there. I know you hungry. So we're going to go to Joe's Crab Pot down in Eufaula, Alabama. You know, I, I know you'll go anywhere for something good to eat. You know, exoticcarsharing.com. You know, I we, did you rent a, 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 a Bentley or a, a Bogatti this time, Mr. Pearsall? You know, well, you I, know I, I, I didn't want to bring any attention to myself when I was out in Los Angeles, man. I was low-key with it. I didn't okay. have Reggie with me at the time, so there was no reason to, to, uh, to show out next time. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I know that you probably had on one of J.C. Lofton's uh, professional altered suits, you know, and then, you know, auto quick lube, you know, they'll change your oil real quick. They right here in, in Atlanta, down there on Camerton Road. And of course, Magic Waste Ballet. You don't even have to leave your condo now. They'll come and get your trash for you, Mr. Pearson. I know you used to those kind of uh intricate details in terms of even having your trash picked up, you know, a valet to come and get that for you. So, you know, and JMA Solutions always like to give them recognition. But, you know, I want to introduce, you know, I guess, because he graduated 2000 from Long Beach Polytech. Everybody talked about that school out there on the West Coast because they are known for their football. But, you know, he didn't just graduate. He graduated with a lot of different academic honors, as you always talk about, Mr. Pearsall, that these young men come to the table. They come to the table with honors. And I want, you know, not only that he, he leaves there, the, I mean, he did a transfer, but before he transferred, he goes to an Ivy League school. He goes to Penn, of all places, man. He ain't, I mean, man, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I wouldn't even have thought to go to a school like that. The academic rigors of a school like that and played as a freshman. So it wasn't like he went, sat on the sideline or anything. He's, man, this is it's something. Then he transfers and goes to, you know, of all places, uh, you talking about distractions. Now he gonna have to explain this one. How can you go to Las Vegas and not be distracted with all the lights? And behind me is the stadium. Now he didn't play in this particular state. This is the new stadium. But you know, these guys got to know that they are responsible for this kind of stuff, man. I mean, our guys go out and give their all every day, man, every day. And the alumni sees the effort that they put in. And so they don't have any problems making these big-time donations. And you get, you know, something like 
So when he goes back, he can see something that he is responsible for building. So with that said, I say nothing else. I say nothing else, man, because this dude is known out there in California. Reggie Butler, how are you doing, sir? Oh, yep. I'm great. You Thank you for having me on. Uh, man, you know, uh, first of all, thank you for being here, for taking out the time, because, you know, one of the things I talked to Mr. Pearsall about before you came on, one, you probably like all, but no doubt, you're one of the most inconspicuous guys, man. You just come to Watkins <laughs> Awards. Don't, you know, you just blend in. You talk about a chameleon. You know, you you see you one second over here. Then the next minute you over there. You chit-chatting with the guys. Everybody's smiling when you walk away. Hey, come on. You got to tell us, man, because the majority of the people who listen, we got millions of people listening, but the majority are young men and young women who are in high school, who are getting ready to try to figure out, okay, this whole college thing, you know, what's going on? How do I get to these big time schools? How do I get my grades there? So let's step, I always say, let's step into the Butler family life, man. When you was, what happened, man? When you were in elementary school and they beating on you, telling you you better get these good grades, did you hit your head? Did you fall? What happened? So in my household, academic uh, achievement was mandatory. If I wanted to play sports, if I wanted to do any extracurricular activities, grades had to be on par. And I think that is what fueled my fire to want to be great academically because I knew as long as my grades were okay, my mother would allow me to do anything I wanted to do. Mother, father, grandfather. I mean, I, I had a strong support system when it came to academics. So well, it, it pushed me hard. Um, yeah, no, definitely no C's could come home. A's and B's were okay. You know, um, more A's than B's. Right, right, right. But there was also... I, there was also a reward mechanism built into it. So if I came home with great grades, my mother, she, I remember the first time I came home with straight A's when I was at high school. Um, I had straight A's. I came home, I showed her my report card. She went and pulled a hundred dollar bill out of her purse. And coming from where I come from, you know, a hundred dollars, I was like, wow, this is the type of reward that you get for achieving these things. So I, I was driven outside of the money. I also knew that, having strong grades was the easiest way to get into school. And now, mind you, I, I always did believe I was going to play football in college. I, I For me, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a football player that has the ability to play at that level. But I knew academics was always going to carry me further. Okay. So I had to concentrate on my academics. I always kept those on par with the way I tried to perform on the field. So if I was going to perform high on the field, I had to perform high in the classroom. So you you in high school, we're we going to go ahead and fast track this thing, man, because at Long Beach Polytech, everybody talks about this school, especially on the athletic side. When did you figure out that, hey, this football thing, I'm going to take this to a whole nother level? 
Did that happen in the ninth grade, 10th grade? Were you always driven like this? So football-wise, um, I, I think it was the year right before I got to high school, I was playing Pop Warner for uh, one of the – or I was playing football for one of the um, junior teams. And a lot of the guys I played with, they were – I was going to the eighth grade or I was going to the seventh grade. They were going to the eighth grade. So we played that year, and they all went to high school. And they were all stars in high school, like as freshmen. And in my mind, I thought, I said, I just played with all of them. I, I know I can perform at the same level they are. And when I got to high school, actually, I take it back. That year, one of my football coaches, he took me to the high school because he coached the JV team. Okay. I can say this now because it's so far removed. But I practiced against the JV players when I was in eighth grade. And when I was practicing against him, I was holding my own. He actually brought, he told me, he's like, go get your football gear out so you can show them how to do some stuff. And him having that belief and confidence in me, it went, it went a long way. It made me feel like I could achieve. And after I played against the JV players in eighth grade, I knew I could play high school football at a high level. So you in high school, you know, obviously they motivate you at the house, but here's an opportunity for you to, to grab that one guy outside of your house, because they say it takes a village to raise a child. So was it that particular coach, or was it several people who really motivated you to really get into this thing called football? Oh, so football-wise, I, I had some great coaches, honestly. I had coaches. One would grab me, and as soon as they would let me go, I would have another coach grab me. So my freshman football coach, he saw, he saw I could play, so he grabbed me and pulled me along. And by the time I ended my freshman year, the varsity um, defensive coordinator, he was the linebacker coach, and I played linebacker. Him and I started to develop a relationship, and once our relationship developed, he helped me take it to the next level. He taught me how to watch film. He started teaching me the nuances of playing linebacker. And since academically that's where I was strong, that's where I was strong in football also, he was able to teach me the cerebral part of football. And that's what allowed me to excel because once I learned plays, and I learned how to read offenses and defenses, football became easy for me. And he pushed me. He actually he used to let me call the plays on the field because we would game plan so hard during the week that I would call the defense based on what the offense would come out of line. Then. It seemed like your, your, your line has has uh, frozen a little bit, Reggie. Um, but I'm a, I'm a keep moving until it unfreezes, you know, it, you know, Pierce, uh, Reggie as a sophomore was named defensive rookie of the year. How in the world do you become a sophomore and get, get selected as defensive rookie of the year? And we'll wait till this line, uh, unfreezes, but how do you, how do you think these guys are able to accomplish a feat like that? Well, let me just tell you that, you know, I'll let him tell you how he did it because I don't know how he did it. But I will tell you, what I will tell you is that Long Beach Poly High School, when he attended Long Beach Poly High School, was pumping out the, the, the Division One after Division One after Division One player um, every year. Pete Carroll built his legacy at USC based on the fact that he was camped out at Long Beach Poly, getting those guys to come up to USC and getting the people to just stay home in California. He was camped out. 
He had a tent down there. He was sleeping on the field, trying to get those players to convert his program into a winning program. Track, football, all the sports down there, but especially football, these guys were turning it out. So for you to say that he was getting honors as a sophomore at Long Beach Poly, I'm, I'm just trying to give my listening audience an idea how significant that is. Yeah, and let's let's make sure that our listening audience didn't forget who Pete Pete Carroll is as well. I mean, this dude is a legend out there in Southern California. Exactly. Yeah. And so he gets the national championship at USC. Actually, went to two of them back to back. And then you know, at, at at the next level, you know, he goes to to Seattle and and gets the Super Bowl. So you know, at the end of the day, uh, he is. Uh, established himself a, a legacy on the West Coast with his last two stops, and he just continues to go. But like you just said, he built a dynasty at USC when he was there. And, the, man, and it was I, started at, at, at Long Beach Poly. Man, I mean, again, I've, I've heard about Long Beach Poly for years, man. And like you say, this, you know, Pete Carroll is a living legend out there. I see that we got we got Reggie back. Uh, you okay, Reggie? Can you hear us? He looks like he's still connecting on the audio portion. We got him on video, but the audio should pop in in one second. There he is. Okay, there you go. You you with us, Reggie? Yeah. Sorry about that. My Zoom my Zoom crash. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, don't worry. About look, I'm in a car. Like, what's going on? I was trying to look. I'm over here hustling, trying to get it back up. <laughs> don't worry, you. That, that ain't no more than what you've been crashing into those quarterbacks and running backs, man. <laughs> you, we was talking about Long Beach Poly, and for you to get Rookie of the Year during your time, and yeah. you know, Pearsall started talking about you know Pete, well, Coach Carroll, because uh, I wanted the audience. You know, a lot of people live out here on the on the East Coast. We wanted to, I wanted to make sure everybody knew what Pete Carroll we was talking about. And so Coach Carroll, man, was making a living. So you getting all these, I, I know every Division I school was coming to your school, man. Yeah. How in the world did you come up with going to Penn of all schools, man? That's Ivy League, man. You know, you're a football guy. But you willing to go to the firehouse. That's the firehouse, man. You, man, you knew it wasn't going to be no slack. You was going to have to be in those books. But what made your decision to go to Penn? Well, it was Penn was an interesting decision. You know, I had a, uh, I had a couple of offers on the table, and none of them were to where the schools I wanted to go play at. Like, if I was going to go play, there were certain schools I wanted to go play at. And if I wasn't going to play football at the level I wanted to play it at, like I said before, academic excellence was preached in my household. So I knew the University of Pennsylvania, at least from what I knew of it, because mind you, on the West Coast, we mostly talk about Harvard. We talk about Yale. We talk about Princeton. Those are the three, you know, three biggest Ivy League schools that you know of. So when Penn came to the table, I started doing my research. It was the number three school in the country at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I knew, I said, you know what, if I go to Penn, what's the worst that can happen? I get a great degree, 
I get out and I get a, I go, like, I go professional in something other than football and I, I get a great job or develop a great career and I go on to live a great life. I said, and the people I'll get a chance to meet at University of Pennsylvania, I'm sure I'll build some bonds with that'll last forever. And that's what happened. I went to Penn, uh, packed up. I can't say, look, I can't say my mom and my family was super happy that I left the uh, West Coast, but I went to Philadelphia. I had a great time. Matter of fact, Everett came and saw me. Mr. Pearsall came and saw me while I was there. And because previously we had met because of the Watkins, but he came, he checked in on me. And that right there, I'm happy that I went to Philadelphia just because that's one of the opportunities I was able to have that Everett came and saw me. And that developed our relationship more. And it just entrenched me more with the Watkins. So Penn, it was a academic choice and it was actually a great lifestyle choice for me at the time. Well, don't worry about calling him Mr. Pearsall or calling him Everett any longer. You know, we talk about the evolution of how everybody starts off calling him Mr. Pearsall, me, Coach Tate, and then all of a sudden it's Tyrone, it's Everett. Because you, you mature, you get older, man, so don't worry. You got a, little, a few little gray hairs on your beard. You oh, earned yeah, it. Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely you, some grays. You, 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 you earned it. But to say the least, you leave Penn and you go to UNLV, the yes. running rebels. Man, you talking about lights, camera, action, having great. Now, I know mama and everybody – Loving the fact that you're coming back to the West Coast. And they loving the fact that you're going to UNLV. But, man, how do you keep the focus academically? What is What are your words of wisdom to any kid that goes to any college, let alone go out there where you – I mean, Las Vegas don't sleep. So how do you get some sleep? So, honestly, you have to – it all comes down to priorities at the end of the day. When I got to UNLV, I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish. So when I left Penn, I I knew I was leaving a great academic institution. And I told myself, when I get to UNLV, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up some academic goals for myself. The football stuff was going to be not easy, but it was going to be doable because I, my roommates, all of that, we were going to push each other. One of my uh, very good friends named Larry Kroon, he also transferred there from the University of Arizona. We went to Long Beach Poly together. So in my house, we lived together. So I knew I was going to get pushed on the athletic side. So I set up some goals for myself academically. I, put a, I literally put a list on my wall. Mm. Read everything. Turn in every assignment. Get A's. I literally, like, I line item things out that I wanted to do for my, my first semester there, and I executed every single one of them. Um, after the first semester, after the first year, I had the highest GPA out of any male athlete at UNLV. I think I had a wow. 3.97. Wow. Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to turn you over to Pearsall, but I just want our listening audience, sometimes people rush to the wrong conclusion. I want them to know that you didn't leave Penn because of grades. You know, that was a whole, I mean, you certainly could have stayed there and graduated, but you saw a better opportunity from an athletic standpoint. And I certainly, I want that to be known. Oh, yeah, I did. I felt, I felt that I did want to give myself the best opportunity to play professional football because right. I knew academically I can always return to the University of Pennsylvania, uh, University of Pennsylvania, whether it be for a master's degree, 
or uh, upper level degree. And I, I knew that that was always a possibility, but I knew that I had a finite window to play football. Well, thank you very much for making sure that my people know what the deal is. And hey, I know Mr. Pearsall, probably you won't remember all these names, but he gonna come up with a bunch of names for you. <laughs> Mr. Pearsall, they all yours. All right now, Reggie Butler, AKA RB, AKA Reggie Reg, AKA Big Butler, AKA Bangin' Butler, AKA Butler the Butcher, AKA Butler the Hustler, AKA, I'm gonna give you everything I got. AKA Mr. Ivy League. AKA Mr. Long Beach Folly 2. AKA, if you got the ball, I'm gonna find you. AKA, let's strap it up anywhere, anytime. Welcome to the show, brother. <laughs> Looks like you've been locked up on some of my AKAs. It was an overload to the Zoom, baby. <laughs> I didn't knock the zoom out. And he's smiling like a chess cat, boy. I tell you. Uh, you know what I mean? Man, I look here, man. All I can tell you, yeah, only Mr. Pearsall can lock up Zoom. I can lock Zoom out. He locked up. Man, I tell you. But yeah, this that man, that dude, you know, is it's phenomenal. Uh how he he Man, I mean, for him to leave Penn and then go out to UNLV and stay focused, set his goals up. He said, line item detail, man. Line wow. item detail, man. This, You know, these dudes, man, are serious about their academics. They do not want to report any bad grades around here. I mean, right. if you're going to be a part of the Watkins Award, you're going to be serious about your academics. And, and as I mentioned to you when we were talking earlier about the network and, and how the guys fuel each other and so forth, here's a kid who is out uh, as west as you can get on the West Coast in Southern California and, and Long Beach, California. And he makes a decision based on academics because a lot of our Watkins guys have got offers to go to Ivy League schools. Not many end up there just because of the, the high level that they're performing on the field. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, here's a kid that comes all the way east. And, and, and I wanted to make sure that I reinforced the fact that not just uh, the Alliance and the Watkins Award was there to support him and, and his mom and his family appreciated that. But making sure that I could connect him with other Watkins guys that were on the East Coast as well and let him know that in his plight, even though he had left and, and traveled 2,500 miles across the country, uh, to pursue his, his ability to play football, but get the best degree at the time uh, possible in, in his mind. Um, he still had the support from us and still had the support of the individuals that he was aligned with and, right. and felt at home with as well. Um, and, and it means a lot for to hear him say that, um, you know, to me uh, and, and really solidify uh, the relationship. That was immediate. You got to think we meet a high school kid and then boom, you know, a month or two later, he's out on the West Coast all by himself. Right, you know, trying right. to kind of, you know, create his own path and, and, and having that kind of support for someone who, of, of the caliber of these Watkins kids. And then listening, and, and I saw your eyes pop wide open, listening to him talk about these are my goals when I decided to now go to UNLV and, and line item. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what I was going to accomplish and knock out a 3.9, you know, at the college level 
um, and, and a major college level, as it were, because they were trying to rebuild the program on the football side, mm-hmm. it's pretty significant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to make sure that people know that was the East Coast. You said the West Coast. The I meant he left the yeah, West Coast and went to the East Coast. But, I, you know, I applaud you because he gave you credit where credit was, was definitely due, that you went to the school to see him, to check on him. And that's what the Watkins family does. You personally go out and you make sure that these kids, man, are in school, that they're focused, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And that speaks volumes, you know, for the fact that he remembers that he was at, you know, at Penn. He's all the way over here on the East Coast and you pop up. And I mean, this man, that must have been a, a phenomenal experience, man. You know, and 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 certainly, you know, we know that these guys really love the fact that they talk about this family atmosphere that has been created for, I mean, forever and a day. And I'm sure that Mr. Franklin D. Watkins is smiling, man. I mean, just absolutely smiling that someone like you got involved. And you took it upon yourself to do the same thing that this community man was doing. He was just checking on the athletes around Harrisburg, man. <laughs> you know, he didn't realize that you was going to have him checking on athletes from a spiritual standpoint on the West Coast, on the East Coast, down South, up North. I mean, man, you can. And then. He's, so he's in the waiting room. I don't know if our engineer can see him, but he's waiting to get back in. If our okay. engineer can uh, have him uh, Bring join him back, back in, in. With us. okay, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure Doug uh, will will find a way to get him in and bring him on back in here, man. You know, just just let uh, uh, let old Doug know, man, that he's he's uh, that he's back, man. But I'm, I like I said, I am absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely uh, just 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 blown out of the water by a lot of what these guys say, man. And you know, for Reggie to come in and just say, "Man, I got you know, I got line items set up, man." But Reggie, go ahead. Me back. Pearsall, <laughs> yeah, he's back. That's Pearsall's fault. Yeah, it's my fault, man. Uh, it looks like we're still on mute, so we can't hear him yet, but uh, he'll be back on a second. I'm yeah, sorry I'm to knock your Zoom out the box, man. I'm sorry to knock your Zoom out the box. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I'm good to go now. Here we go. All right, all right. Say hello. So, uh, obviously, I've done my introduction, and, and obviously, uh, yeah, uh, I knocked your Zoom out, and we let him back in. But uh, what I wanted to ask you in terms of a question is, uh, out in Long Beach, Polly, and, and we did have Chris on the show uh, maybe four or five weeks ago, and I got a chance to get his experience. But one of the things that's always amazing to me is that when I grew up, the only thing I knew about Long Beach Poly, you know, was the rappers that would then talk about the gang violence. And when I came down there and had an opportunity to see some of the games and really drive into those environments, you know, I'm a guy from Baltimore now. Don't get it twisted. I'll go anywhere. But there was a lot of areas in Long Beach Poly that you would not catch me after dark. Absolutely not. And so with all the influence that you had going on there, first of all, how on earth do you stay focused enough to be the best football player as well as a person that stays steadfast in your studies? 
How do you stay focused to be able to accomplish that? Honestly, I think it starts at the, it definitely starts at home. Um, your parents are a huge part of it and not necessarily just your parents, but your support group. They keep you grounded a lot of times. They make sure that you are focusing on the things that are important and they expose you. I know my mother exposed me to a lot of things. So did my father, uh, my grandfather also on the academic side. And I was always taught that I could achieve anything through academics. So it, I, I was in a gifted and talented education program, the gate program. And my peers also pushed me. You didn't want to be the person in class that wasn't doing well. Right. You don't want, you don't want to be that person because everybody knows it. And it's not yeah. that the teachers broadcast it, but it's, it's common knowledge and I'm a competitor and I hate to lose. So <laughs> that kind of played <laughs> into my strong suit. I would be in class and I, I would want to have the top marks. So I'm trying to have the top marks and whatever it took for me to have the top marks, whether it be I had to study all night or if I, if I knew I could cram for it and I can get it done, I would do it. But I made sure I did what was necessary to be the best in academics. And when it came to football, I, I don't know. I, I, I love the sport. I love the competition. I love the camaraderie. I love my, I love my peers in high school. And so it came down to a point of, I was trying to play at the highest level because I was playing with high level players. I didn't want to be the weakest link on the team. I wanted to be able, I wanted my teammates to realize that they could count on me in situations. And the only way you can do that is if you're prepared. And I think preparedness is the way I was able to handle all of those things. Now, mind you, outside of school, outside of football, because those things only last for so long. And when you go into those areas you're speaking of, of course, you're exposed to you're exposed to gang violence. You're exposed to gangs. You're exposed to people. I mean, you grow up with literally in Long Beach. You have friends that are or you have friends or acquaintances that are across all spectrums from gang members. You grow up with gang members, kids that you were in elementary went that you're in elementary school with some of them go on to be gang members. You know, they go to, they, you get to high school, they make the wrong choices. Some of them go to jail. Some go to college. It's like, we had a choice. You could either go to jail, go to college. And for me, it was easy. I was going to college. (laughs) I I wanted to play football. I didn't, I didn't want anybody telling me what I could and couldn't do to that extent. That's why jail never was even in my thought process because I like, I like my freedoms. I like to go do things. And then in Long Beach, also, if you think about it, if you're as a black male, we're already targeted. So you got to try to keep yourself out of those arenas. Did I ever get in? Did I ever get in any trouble? Of course, but at the same time, you try to make sure. Okay, yeah, you get you get a ticket. You might get a speeding ticket. You do all these things, but you just try to make sure that you do the things necessary to not put yourself in situations that could be harmful. Yep, absolutely. Great answer. Great answer. That's really helpful, especially for those who are listening and parents and, and individuals that, you know, may be growing up in the same environment. You and I have a lot of things in common in the way we grew up in a single parent household and all those yep. different types of things. And and so there's there, you know, what I try to do is bring it home to individuals that may be of like minded, but also make sure that everyone has some things that they have to go through, uh, but fight through it in order to, to focus on what your goals are. Through everything that you've gone through from the time that I met you and, and at 17, 18 years old, even up until now, what has the Watkins Award meant to you? I means a lot. I, I speak so highly of the Watkins Award. I believe it is a 
the fraternal organization that the Watkins Award has built is amazing. Um, I know my relationship with you, my relationship with some of the people that have received the award is, are some of the foundational relationships for my adult life because without those relationships, I would not have been able to achieve or I would not have been able to attain some of the goals I have just because I've been able to use you as a sounding board, use some of my colleagues as sounding boards and just getting their perspective and their inputs because a lot of us are like-minded. We all achieved academically. We all played football. There was a couple of, I mean, I think there was one basketball player. So I'll say yeah. <laughs> one played basketball, but we all played football. We all achieved academically and we all want to be successful people. And that's important to surround yourself with those type of people. So for me, when I had the opportunity, when the Watkins was in Los Angeles and you were like, Reggie, hey, we need this or we need that. I, I tried to, I tried to put my best foot forward and bring whatever I could to the table because, like I said, to me, the Watkins has meant a lot. It gave me an opportunity to do some volunteer work, to talk, just being able to talk to the kids now. To me, that is worth its weight in gold, being able to share the moments. When we would be at the dinners and I would tell them, like, you're getting ready to go to college. There's going to be a lot of obstacles. You're going to have opportunities to do right and do wrong. Do the things that are going to help you be the best you that you can be that are going to make your parents proud, that are going to make the Watkins Award proud, and that are going to help you get further along in life. Because that's what it is. College is like you get you get the opportunity to make a lot of choices in college. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you know, I don't that there's some things I'm going to ask you and I don't get the chance to ask others. And I'm going to go into it because I want you to give me some answers because it'll help, again, our listening audience. You leave, you strap it up at Penn, and then you decide that, hey, Coach Robinson's calling me. You weigh the options and you say, you know what? I can do the same thing from an academic perspective, but I can take it to UNLV, continue to excel from the classroom, but be able to get out there and strap it up at UNLV and help turn that program around. Two questions I have. Tell me how it was playing football and going to school at UPenn and keep it real, you know, in terms of the rigors. And then uh, tell me how it was to strap it up and play for Coach Rob, the legend, um, legendary coach out of UNLV. Lump those together. And I know they probably have some similarities, but a, similarities, but a lot of dissimilarities as well. How do you strap it up and go to school at Penn? And then how do you then leave Penn and then strap it up for the legendary Coach Robinson? There's a, it's a, it, the funny thing is you said there are some similarities, but there were some drastic differences. When I got to the University of Pennsylvania, I quickly understood that, yes, our football program, we were the best in the Ivy League. We had won the Ivy League championship every other year. While I was there my freshman year, we won the Ivy League championship. But I quickly realized that, yeah, it wasn't – football wasn't what it is at the big football schools. You know, you go, you play. Some people come to the games. But in the classroom, it doesn't matter who you are. You better bring your A game because all of your classmates, they went to the best – high schools they're they're super intelligent and they grade on a curve so <laughs> you better bring your a game every test i remember my welcome to upenn moment i was in calculus i think it was calculus two i think it was my freshman year calculus two we took a test if you did not get a hundred percent on the test you did not get an a that you got a if you got an 89 percent, you got a c 
because of the bell curve. That was my welcome to you pin moment. I said, "Oh, okay." I said, "You you better bring it. You better bring it every single day." I had to study hard, but then it's also like I'm in college. I'm in a new city. I want to go. I want to go outside and play. I want to meet all my classmates. I want to meet everybody. I want to go experience Philadelphia. But then I also had to rein myself in and say, "Hey, you can experience Philadelphia for a couple of days and have to go back home, or you got to <laughs> you gonna have to sit down and do some of this classwork." So I had to, you know focus do some classwork and I was able to I was able to hang in there it was it was definitely it was definitely eye-opening to me because academically across the country every school is different every high school is different what you learn private school versus public school you know uh prep school versus regular public school all these things are different and I quickly realized where there were some disparities where I came from and where I had some advantages and it's it's about learning those and exploiting those. So that's what I tried to do at Penn. And that that right there, to your point, playing football at Penn, you I really understood football was second. Because a lot of times they tell you, they tell you, look, they say, they say school first, football second. And they say that at a lot of big programs, right? But at Penn, no, it was school first, football second. <laughs> it was not a question. But to your to your answer your second part of your question, what was it like to go to UNLV? They took academics seriously at UNLV because you still had to be eligible to play. So they wanted you to go to class. They had We had study hall. And it was funny because I was transferring from Penn, but I got lumped in with the transfers and the freshmen. So we had to go to study hall. I said, are you guys serious? But I, <laughs> I went to study hall for, the, I think, the first semester. When my grades came out, I was like, I don't think I'll be returning to study hall. They were like, no, we don't think you can. <laughs> but on the football side, playing for John Robinson, nothing like it. I, I don't care where you go. You're not going to find a coach that's more pro player. He made sure that we had the best of everything from lodgings to travel to equipment. But with that comes expectations. You need to go out there and you need to execute. You need to play hard, practice hard. There is no, there is no coming out there and taking a day off. When it was time to practice, you had to practice. When it's time to play, you had to play. Very good. Very good. I mean, and that's the way it is. And, and obviously, um, you know, you've got some great experiences and, and some individual experiences that no one else will be able, you know, to be able to share. Now, uh, one of my last questions before I turn you back over to Coach Tate is that, again, as you went through that journey, you did another thing that was which, which was magnificent. Uh, you left then, went into the working world and then went back to school and got your, I believe, master's degree from Indiana University. And not only did you get it, you established yourself as a leader and became the president of your class, which I think is the the only or first African-American male to do that at the University of Penn in that program that you were involved with. Tell us how you were able to take your work ethic and everything that you had gone through up until that point and apply it to be able to excel and get that advanced degree to further establish you for success. So I'll start with, I ain't gotten to a point in my career where I knew I needed something to help me get over a hurdle. There are a couple ways you can get over a hurdle. You can pivot into a new career, but one of the best things you can do is get an advanced degree. So I decided I would go get my MBA from Indiana University, Kelly School of Business. And once I got there, I realized that, you know, you're in there with a lot of driven individuals. So to establish myself, I, I did all the things I do academically. You know, I, made sure I studied hard. I was available for my classmates to help them when they needed help. 
And I also wasn't, I also wasn't too big to ask for help because that's a big thing. When people see that you're willing to ask for help and you're, you have humility, that goes a long way. So I, I helped my classmates. I asked for help. We, I made sure I showed up at the events, to, the networking events to make sure I knew them and they knew me. I, I made it a point to meet every single person in my class. I think our class was 217 people. I had a, I had a, I'm pretty sure I had a conversation with every single person, all 217, because I wanted to establish relationships with everybody because I knew that that network that I built while at business school was going to help propel me after school. So I went in and I made sure I established a great network, but also I also tried to be the best person that I could be. I tell my kids, I, you know, I have two kids who haven't talked about that, but I tell them every day, be the best you that you can be. And through doing that, people recognize that. So when the opportunity came to run for the president of the NBA association, which I did, I, I won. And it was, it was definitely fulfilling to know and hear that I was the first African-American male to do it. So in Indiana, you know, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> I, and I will take my hat off to Indiana University. That place itself in Bloomington, that bubble, it, it's definitely different than some of the surrounding counties and areas. They are, I, I, I felt like I was welcome with open arms there. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I tell you what, it, I, kudos and hats off to you. Man, I'm so proud of your journey and what you've been able to accomplish. But more importantly, as I always say, what you're going to do. My man, Reggie Rands, Bangin' Butler, I'm going to turn you back over to Coach Tate. Thank well, you, Everett. You know, Thank the, you. The, the, uh, I, I'm just blown out of the water all the time by all the guys. And I just want to thank you, Reggie, for taking out the time. And you talked about volunteering, man. Let me tell you. I don't know what it is that you told her, but you make sure you tell Miss Robbie that we send our love from over here on the East Coast because, man, whenever, whenever we were out there in L.A., she was, she would do anything. So she's the epitome of volunteering from a parental standpoint. So tell Miss Robbie we said thank you, we said hello to you. And man, look here, I can't say it no other way. You know, this has been the Watkins Award for Coach TK. Of course, my right-hand guy, Jay Everett Pearsall. We done had a special guest, you know, Reggie Butler. And, man, as always, we like to just tell our audience, thank you, thank you, thank you for just spending a little time with us today. And, Reggie, thank you again for being an awesome and patient guest today, despite losing the network from time to time. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It was definitely a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, man, we look forward to it. Having you another time, man. Thanks again, and God bless and be safe. Reggie Ray! I'll see you, Mr. Kishon. We'll see you. My man, Red.
Always put your mind to it. 